Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to the Talent Talk radio show. I um, have a great uh, two guests here lined up for today. And I know, as always, throughout the year, my producer, Mike, has been lining us up some fantastic guests, so I hope you'll come back and, and hear them as well. Uh, Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. So... These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, and HR professionals, and really any business leaders out there. So I hope that you can tune in to listen in each week, uh, whether it's here live on the broadcast or on our podcast on iTunes or on iHeartRadio or even on the website, uh, talentalkradio.com. You can grab us there, that you will hear something you can take away uh, that will help you grow and impact your own career in a positive way. I've personally met so many inspiring leaders at events that I've attended or groups that I've been a part of or spoken to, and I had the privilege of really kind of taking them aside and and finding out what makes them tick and learning from them. So this show was really designed to give you an opportunity to listen in on our dialogue and the topics that we're covering and the things that we're talking about and hopefully give you something that you can use down the road or maybe even later today at the office. So uh, Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And uh, as I already mentioned, you can access it via our podcast, um, which can be found on iTunes or iHeart. So we've already amassed a really large following. I think just over 270,000 of you kind of came in and interacted with the show last week, and we really appreciate everyone who's doing that. A a big thank you to everyone who's following the show uh, on a regular basis. Uh, one of the fun things that we've been trying to get uh, more people to do is join in on the conversation on Twitter. So if you have the opportunity, pop on Twitter and send us a question or give us a comment, uh, whatever it may be, and just put that in and use that hashtag talent talk. If you have room to add in at PeopleG2, we appreciate that as well. Uh, but my producer, Mike, can feed me in any good questions we may get here live uh, as we interview our guests and Speaking of my guests, let's go ahead and get to them. My first one uh, will be uh, Joanne Corley, founder and CEO of The Human Sphere. And then my second guest will be uh, Jason Barger, author, speaker, and consultant with Step Back Leadership Consulting. So let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Uh, Joanne, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. I'm so excited to be with you today and to talk about such important topics surrounding talent. Yeah, and I'm excited to have you as well. Um, so let's 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 start with the easy stuff. Uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and you know what you're doing and what you're looking forward to here for the coming year. Okay. Well, I, I'm actually a native of Chicago, but currently based in Atlanta, hot Atlanta. And uh, I started a consulting practice um, way back in the day in 1998. So I've been in the human resources sphere for quite a while and most recently have been focusing on the latest trends that are happening in HR so that I can you know, better serve my clients. So, um, and that really brings me to what's coming up in 2016 as it relates to trends and a couple things, well, three things in particular that I'm really um, looking at, Chris, and I'm sure that you are too. And one is how technology is going to continually disrupt what we do as HR professionals. So I was watching Atlanta Tech Edge, which is a great show on Sunday mornings here in Atlanta, and there is um, a new firm called HireWire who just released an app that is, I think, going to be pretty disruptive in recruiting in the service industry, where actually restaurants can go and source candidates for particular jobs right from the app, if you can believe that. Wow, that sounds uh, really, really interesting. Uh, we might be able to kind of go a little bit deeper with that. Um, you know, let's talk for a second, though, a little bit about uh, your organization and uh, the human uh, sphere. It kind of really focuses on all aspects of talent management. So maybe you can share some thoughts of what it, you know, what, what does it take for a company to ensure that they're hiring and keeping the best talent based on, on your expertise? 
Well, I, you know, I think that we have to rethink what it really means to acquire talent. What I, what I found in um, doing a lot of speaking and working with HR professionals is there really is a scope of experience related to how people see talent and how they acquire them, particularly one distinction that really needs to be addressed, and that is hiring beyond the job description. I'm still amazed that uh, many HR professionals and hiring man managers still only use and source a job description and questions and, and basic interview questions to interview versus looking beyond the job description, um, their holistic experience. Uh, looking at uh, preferred behaviors, looking at are they really the best fit for the culture of a company. When I work with clients, I have um, five aspects of what to look for in, uh, and to source about related to hiring a particular employee. A lot of times they're not the best fit. A lot of times they've had experience, but it doesn't mean that they even like the experience, like the job, or will be good at the next job. So previous experience doesn't even necessarily mean that they'll be a fit for the current role. You know, that's something that my company does a lot of, especially for high-up executives, is really looking at will they fit into that culture? Will they bring in something, you know, positive? Or will it just be a distraction and disruption uh, for the company? And it amazes me sometimes when people will say, well, it looks like they work for three companies just like ours. And, you know, maybe they only worked there for a year or two, and but they think that was a good thing. Um, are they not seeing some of the kind of subtle clues as to whether or not that person is really going to fit in? And, and you know, you, it goes deeper than just talking to the applicant because people want a job. They don't want to be unemployed. And there are a lot of people who will say just about anything, uh, you know, to, to, to be able to get into a position. And so you have to kind of look at a lot of other variables. I'm, I'm glad you're kind of talking about that, that culture fit component important across all jobs, but I think the more money they're making and the more impact that they're going to have on the organization, the more kind of really intense of a focus it really needs to become for companies. Is that you kind of agree with some of that? Yeah, I do. And a couple of things that came to mind um, that I share, you know, actually do a workshop called Hiring Beyond the Job Description is we make um, sweeping assumptions as hiring managers that, A, because someone did a job in the past means they're actually going to be good at it in the future, and, B, because they did the job in the past means that they actually like the job they did in the past. <laughs> Right. And, you know, that's not always the case. And many times when we're reviewing a resume, we're actually infusing our interpretation of their experience in our mind as we're actually reading the resume. And what we're reviewing in our mind may not match the reality of what they actually experienced. So that's where, you know, really um, understanding hiring beyond the job description is to, first of all, understand our own assumptions that we bring to the table, assumptions and biases that we bring to the table when we're meeting with a candidate and making sure that we're doing whatever's necessary to minimize those assumptions to really look at a person fresh beyond just what's in the what's what, just what's on the resume. That's I think a lot of the reason why people you know recruiters and sourcers really kind of you know those third parties are, have such a, an advantage in helping us find good people. Um, because what you're talking about, when we have our own biases, when we have our own prejudices, when we have all these things, you're talking to someone as a recruiter who does this all day long. That's probably going to go out the door pretty quickly when they're dealing with hundreds of positions and talking to thousands of people. It's a much different perspective than when I have one job opening and I might talk to or look at 20 people's resumes. Um, I'm going to have a different look at it than they might. And so those types of people can really help you bring in great great uh, staff because they're maybe not kind of hindered by some of those things you're talking about, those prejudices, right. those, you know, kind of preconceived ideas about what somebody may or may not do and, and, and think. One of my favorite ones is that, you know, I will catch myself sometimes and I'll have to ask the applicant what they know about me because I would never show up to an interview without thoroughly researching the company and have done my own homework. But I'm shocked at how many candidates come, and they they, may, they didn't even go to my website. They didn't even bother to look, and so they don't really know anything about the company. They don't even know what questions to ask because they haven't even bothered to look. Um, so there's some real kind of simple things there, too. 
Right. I want to, Chris, I want to add one more thing that I think would be useful for our listeners, and that is, um, you know, where, where you can. Of course, you have to be, um, you know, aware that the tools you use have to be EEOC compliant, but um, behavior assessments are highly useful in hiring beyond the uh, job description and what I call best fit. Because, you know, some of the tools that I use really look for what's called natural behavior preferences. And, um, you know, in getting the best fit, you want to have someone where it's, it's a lot of what's required from the behavioral aspect of a role to be as natural to the person um, as possible. So they're using their energy in different ways, not to fight against themselves to actually do the job or to do the job well. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we use some things uh, with uh, Strengths Finders. We do a couple different things with it, but I love to have an applicant, you know, go ahead and run that. And then I will, once they've completed it, I will send them back their results, which they're usually shocked that I've actually sent them the results to the test that we've asked them to take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it surprises me that a lot of companies withhold that information, but. And I also send them my strengths. You know, what were my results from that test? The same exact test I asked them to take. So now we're on the same playing field. We all know where each other stands. But it usually helps me get a better understanding of who they are and be able to ask maybe deeper questions because I have a little bit of understanding. And whatever one you pick, and you kind of mentioned just personality tests in general, those are fantastic resources as long as you're applying them in the right way and at the right time. To get a better sense. The only caveat to that is that sometimes we can get pigeonholed ourselves and say, well, the best people in in our, let's say, our customer service department have these three traits and anyone coming in the door has to have those three traits. Mm-hmm. And you start to get people that maybe you don't have enough, enough disruption in your company. You get too many people who all think the same way and walk the same way and then you can find yourself in a rut and, you know, not coming up with new and innovative ideas as the market changes or your clients change or their needs change. Um, right. So and we, lo- we love to, with the strengths finders to, mm-hmm. to find one of the strengths that we don't have as an organization and mandate, mm-hmm. we're going to bring in someone who's got a strength we don't have uh, mm-hmm. to try to try to shake things up. And you were going to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that that's exactly right because, and I think that goes back to hiring beyond the job description in the spirit of best fit is it's it's broader. It's like any kind of data or information. You still have to have, you still have to bring your your head, you have your thinking cap. You still have to have a holistic pro- approach to it. It's just one tool in your toolkit. Right. Well, I know you've been named as one of the top 100 influential HR experts. Uh, what is it that, you know, gives you passion in the area of human resources and really, you know, continues to motivate you and uh, encourage you to really keep doing the work that you're doing? Well, you know, I see uh, our role as super important. I think I really got the human resource bug when I was a recruiter uh, back, back in the day. In Chicago, I worked for a boutique recruiting firm, and I loved being able to connect people with work. You know, I see work is very honorable. We spend a majority of our lives working. Some of us spend more time with our colleagues than we do with our families. And um, we look at it, I look at it from a perspective of quality of life. You know, and you want people to be in a space, in a place where they're going to be happy and thrive and grow where it ends up being a win for them and also a win for the company. So to me, it, it really helps people with meaning and purpose and, you know, beyond just collecting a paycheck. And that's, you know, um, a benefit for the, for the individual that really inspires me and motivates me. On the company side, my deepest conviction is that our role as HR professionals and talent management professionals is that we serve our economic engine. It's a big deal. You know, when I, one of my uh, mega sessions at Sherm this past year was uh, the ripple effect, the power of our personal branding in HR. We carry um, a great influence in the economy. I mean, you know, we, we have a lot of power. You know, we have a lot, a lot of power to make or break whether a company will be successful or not in many ways by how we hire, how we support the culture and what we do. That impacts our economy. I mean, that's kind of a... Big deal, Chris, you know, and I don't know that many HR professionals see it that way, that that it's that big of a deal, that it matters that much, but it really is a big deal, and, and that's how I see it. So we serve the human community, we serve our economy, 
um, and we serve really our U.S. of A. as we uh, support um, the growth of our country. Well, I think uh, HR for so long was, you know, looked at as more of a tactical uh, center. Um, it's still very much looked at as a cost center. Yeah. And not as one that can bring in a, a lot of money in. And so because you're not directly, you're not the sales team, right? You're not ones who are directly getting the contract signed and, and have a pipeline, quote unquote. But you have such an impact to be able to help the company make money by having happier people, by being compliant, right. by not, you know, getting sued. I mean, there are all these sort of like factors that come in, but it's, it's a softer, uh, kind of a, I guess, stage two type of an income for a company. Uh, and the impact is so great that yet it, I think it still gets overlooked. And I, I'm wondering at what point do people actually get it? When do CEOs, when do, you know, when does management get that it, it's not just a cost, uh, center, you know, that, right. that can be put on a, put on an Excel sheet and, you know, when a recession hits, just, just slashed because we can't afford it. Right. No. Well, that's one of the things I actually help my clients do, uh, Chris, and it's in my book, uh, 15 Shifts, that I released this past summer. Is There's actually a, a chapter in there. It's a very small book, but it's, you know, it's, it's high impact, and I actually have a chapter in there on how to calculate ROI and return on investment. When I talk with clients and they're looking at pricing for consulting work and we look at their needs, I say, well, how much is that costing you? really. And then I will actually help them calculate. And when I do an engagement, we will go back and see what impact the coaching and or training engagement had to very specific areas of their business. And I honestly, Chris, I've made it um, very intentional to to learn how to do that so that I can teach my clients how to do that. But to your point is there's a blind spot to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I think as HR professionals and talent managers, we've got, that's got to be in our portfolio. That's got to be you know, in our toolkit, just like data and analytics. That's going to be in our toolkit that we are very skilled at numbers like that to really be a great um, internal business advocate and strategic business partner for those we serve, you know, in terms of key decision makers. Well, and for, for those HR people out there listening, I mean, think of what an incredible impact that might make on your resume for your next job that uh, yeah. not only might you list <laughs> Things where you help the company save money or mitigate risk, but how really the things that you did directly or that you brought in maybe helped, uh, you know, as far as sales and income and, and, and that, uh, you know, to, to the, to the bottom line to the, to making yeah. the company in the block. Um, yeah. and, and those are metrics you have to think about and try to track. I mean, to your point, and they're not necessarily in, intuitively being tracked and, and thought about. Yeah. There's but, the anecdotal piece and then there is the, uh, and then there is the actual dollar piece. Yeah, absolutely. So you talked about one book. I know there's another book we wanted to talk about and that you've written, uh, Brain on Fire, Unleashing Your Creative Superpowers. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready to learn how to, to have my superpowers. I've been waiting. Um, so. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah, when I was you know, wrestling with the, with the uh, title of the book, I was thinking, like, what could be, like, really a great, Title, but that's like totally scare people away, right? It is. A, it's one of my favorite topics. It's a, a very popular keynote and and workshop that I do. And what's interesting about this is I have discovered as I've worked with this this uh, theme for num- number of years, creative creative and innovative thinking is really a gateway to a lot of other challenges in the in our uh, company cultures. It helps with diversity. It helps with employee engagement. It helps with collaboration. It helps with leadership and influence, problem solving, uh, staying relevant in the marketplace. It has such value uh, as you nurture and work with having a more creative culture. But I think people are afraid of it because they don't know what to do with it. Right. You know, because right. a lot of people don't believe that they are. They don't know, okay, how is this relevant? You know, so many people think that creativity is for the artsy, for artsy people, and it's not. It's it's so much broader and uh, and deeper than that and more meaningful and, and, and approachable, too, once we eliminate um, all the stereotypes about it. Well, and everyone is creative. I mean, it's just a matter of what are you creative in? What is your right. thing? As you mentioned, what is your superpower? I mean... Yeah. Like, people think you have to paint to be creative or that you have to, I don't know, write or, or, or do poetry, right? But you can be a good problem solver, and that's creativity. 
You can yes, be a good yes. negotiator. That's creativity. I mean, you can yep. be good at helping a client solve their problems. That's creative. I mean, there's just so many things in there that are, you know, can be creativity. Um, right. We, people you know, just we don't realize. Day. Yeah, we are, we're creative in ways, Chris, we don't even realize. I call it the quiet creativity. When you come up with an aha moment, you come up with an answer to a problem at home on how to fix a washing machine, for example. Right. I mean, there's so many day-to-day life stuff that we are creative in and we don't even recognize it as such. If you can live in a household full of people and they don't kill you every day, you're probably being pretty creative, especially if you're married. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of my uh, favorite questions to ask our guests, uh, and hopefully you have a great answer for us, is is there a book that you're reading right now that you might uh, share with us? Oh, yes. I uh, really love reading, and it was my commitment to start really ratcheting up that up again this year. So I just started reading, and I know your, your, um, our listeners will love this book. It's called Power Questions, Building Relationships, um, Win New Business, and Influence Others. And it's by Andrew Sobel and Jerry Panis. And uh, one of the reasons why I was really attracted to this book is um, I do a you know, a lot of work with helping managers become better coaches. And we talk a lot about the power of asking questions as a, as a coaching methodology. Uh, and I, I personally just want to get better at asking questions. When I'm working with clients, I think asking the best questions will help them the most. And, and, and I tend to be, since I you know, do a lot of speaking, I tend to talk more than ask. And that's one of my professional goals this year is to really become a very skilled question asker <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to serve my clients better uh, and to help them. Because um, one of the challenges in consulting is helping clients diagnose, helping clients come up. What is my, you know, I know things, there's stuff that needs to change or things we need to fix, but how do you diagnose that? And one of the ways to do that is to ask questions. The better questions to ask, the better answers you're going to get, and that's going to help them um, figure out what's the best way to approach addressing the challenges within their organization. You know, I learned some of those, uh, some of the value of that through some negotiation training. It was you know, when to ask open-ended questions and when to ask closed-ended questions. But I've really taken that small bit of knowledge that was kind of put into that negotiation framework and expanded it to kind of everything. Because asking great questions is really the cornerstone of, you know, developing good relationships, understanding people better, and, you know, protecting yourself as well to make sure you don't overextend yourself, you don't end up in the promising something you can't deliver. I mean, all all sorts of different uh, applications there. So sounds like a marvelous book to check out. Uh, Highly encourage all of our listeners to... Yeah. to check it out, and we will also put it in the blog recap on the website in case you don't have time or you're in the car and can't jot it down right now, but uh, Power Questions is the book. Um, I've really been enjoying a book that we're reading for the HR book club we do uh, called Team Genius, and hopefully yeah. I can get finish that before next week when the uh, meeting is due. So, But that cool. that was my only way to make sure I read the books was to, to have a group of people that I'm responsible for. <laughs> Well, um, we're almost here at the end, so uh, Joanne, how can uh, people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about uh, your work that you do or your speeches or anything else, that, or your books or everything else that you do? What's the best way for them to find out more? Sure. There's uh, two websites they can go to. The first one is, the easy one to remember is joannecorleyspeaks.com. That's Joanne without an E, Corley, C-O-R-L-E-Y. Also, to the human sphere. Dot com. And they can also find me on Twitter. My Twitter, Twitter handle is Joanne Corley. Well, Joanne, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we got talking about some stuff that sounded interesting and didn't really get to a whole lot of the questions that we intended to talk about. So we'll need to make sure we get you to come back here uh, in the near future and we can finish up on all those other questions and talk about anything else that you're doing. Oh, that sounds great, Chris. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. It's been an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much, Joanne. And uh, up next, we'll have Jason Barger, who will join me after this quick commercial break. 
Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have a question uh, for my next guest, you can send it to us via Twitter. Just pop in that question, use the hashtag Talent Talk, and if there's room, add in the at PeopleG2. My producer, Mike, will diligently get me that question, and we'll try to feed it into the show here. Uh, my next guest is uh, Jason Barger. He's the, uh, an author, a speaker, a consultant uh, for Step Back Leadership Consulting. Uh, we're excited to have him on. Don't forget, you can uh, find a copy of the show on our podcast, on iTunes, on iHeartRadio. Go to TalentTalkRadio.com. There's just a multitude of ways, no excuses not to check out all the great shows and all the past guests. So uh, with no further ado, Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your business, and uh, also, you know, if you're kind of excited about or seeing anything here for 2016 you want to talk about yeah yeah uh okay a little bit about myself uh i am striving to be an above average you know father friend uh hopefully a husband i love chicken wings uh, i'm a libra um you know those are all the important things and then uh you know Professionally, I think the way we connected, you know, I write books. I'm fortunate to uh, speak all around the world and connect with uh, teams and organizations that are fired up and passionate about developing people and culture and clarity of mission, vision, values. Uh, a trend, let's see here, I, I, you know, a trend I think that has been merging in the, in the world of HR uh, lately, but also uh, just companies all over the place, uh, is I think we're getting better about redefining what culture even means and what it looks like and what we want it to be within our teams and organizations. You know, in the past, you, you, you talk to a company or a team and you say, do you have a good culture? And a lot of times in the past that meant, did you have a ping pong table or, or a foosball table in your office? Or did you get to wear jeans on Friday or something? And I think we're getting more sophisticated and better about defining intentionally what kind of culture do we want to have and what are the ways in which we think, act, and interact and how those habits form the kind of environment and vibe and culture and not just what we do but how we show up every single day. So I think we're getting better about that, and I think that's a trend that that's growing uh, in the world of HR right now. Well, let's talk about that for a second because I would I would half uh, agree with you, and I'll explain that. So. I think the experts, the the authors, the speakers, the people kind of living it and breathing it are definitely articulating it, you know, more kind of cohesively. There's a lot of conversation. And I think HR is really starting to understand it, uh, what yeah, it really is. Yeah. But I'll tell you where I really have still have a hard time with it, and that's with the CEOs of the C-level management. Because, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. I asked them about their culture. I ask them how they think their what their culture is or if it's good and I always get 
it's the best ever. We have a great culture, and it's exactly what you're talking about. Right. Pe- people yeah, yeah, people yeah. like the product. They like working here. We have a ping pong table over here. You can drink beer on Fridays, whatever. And it's yeah. like that's just crap. That's not <laughs> that's not company culture. That's just you know stuff or blindness or whatever you want to call it. So and it still seems like there's a road there where have a long way to travel on, but I guess at least the compass is pointing to the right direction. I guess we might agree on that. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, there there is plenty of work to be done, and, and that's where I say the trend is that we're getting better at redefining that. But I would absolutely agree with you. Is You know, I'd say that the overwhelming majority, you talk to people about what the culture is, and it is that. It's that those accessory kind of things. It's the it's the the beer on Friday, the jeans, the the ping pong table, and it's and it's it's you know do people just quote unquote like going to work there, and and yet when you really dive deeper with places that are doing it well and or employees in general, what what do they want and what are they thirsty for? They're thirsty for more than that, you know, that they want in an environment that it that has clarity around. What is the environment of the not just what we do, but how we show up, and and how do our own leadership actions and the way we think, act, and interact, how does that show up every day? Mm-hmm. And, and and that's where that's where the opportunity is, and and that's where I see us getting better at redefining. And I think you're right. There are uh, some of us that are out there that that are, are are maybe doing a better job of articulating that to places, but I see it resonating. I watch it with at least the the teams and organizations that I'm lucky to serve. To watch that resonance, or like, yes, you're right. It's not that other stuff. And so let's get better and more intentional about designing and creating the culture that we want. Now, one of the other kind of fascinating uh, tangents I see on this kind of same idea every day, well, not every day, but very, very often, is that uh, you know, I'll give you an example. If if if, if you had a company that had you know the trucks and you were doing deliveries and your trucks were getting eight miles to the gallon, right? So your your, your yeah, gas yeah. prices were just terrible. And I could walk in and yeah. say, listen, I, we can replace the fleet. I, I got 40 miles to the gallon. I, I would have a hard time getting to everybody. I mean, I would be a very sought after person because I could solve a giant right. problem for them. But yet, right. it's funny right. how when the work that I do from a consulting standpoint, when I go in to help companies with their culture, the companies that want me to work with them on a consistent basis are those that are already doing a fantastic job and want to do even better. And yet the companies that are doing a terrible job and need my help the most don't want to hear it, don't want to listen, and aren't interested in getting any sort of help at all. Do, do you see any of that, or is this a, a, a something uh, you know special to me? I, 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 people I've been talking to have been seeing some of this. Do you have any of that kind of a... Uh, an experience yeah. where it's the, the best that are trying to get better? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that that's, a, uh, that's an adage <laughs> that, that rings true in the world, that winning breeds winning. Yeah. And oftentimes that when we, when, when we get stuck in the, in the status quo, in an organization that is just comfortable where they are, then you know, change of any kind becomes difficult. And yet it's those environments, which it sounds like many of the which that, that you're getting a chance to work with. I know many of the places that I get a chance to work with is, is are the ones that are progressively saying we need to continuously improve, that there is value and that change, it's not a question of is change going to ha- happen. The reality is change is happening every single moment of every single day. So the question I always ask teams and organizations is, not is it going to change, but do you want to play any role in defining what you become? And the ones that really latch onto that and understand that and buy into that at their core are the ones that realize, even if they were doing it well yesterday, that they need to begin to be uh, designing today and tomorrow together. And so that winning does breed breed winning. And, and unfortunately, it goes the other direction, as you're describing, too. Oftentimes, the ones that that don't get it or uh, or, or aren't uh, culturally relevant are the ones that and that need it the most are the ones that have the hardest time beginning. Yeah, absolutely. It just kind of fascinates me, uh, you know, the psychology of of management sometimes that uh, you know we don't want to admit when we need a problem, we don't want to admit that we need to get better or that we need to have any influence on how the company's going to change. Because to your point, it's going to change. Good, bad, or otherwise, going forward. 
Yeah. Well, you, no, you know, looking at your LinkedIn profile, I know it was kind of a, uh, a quote on there that was, you know, very holistic uh, as it kind of relates to leadership and talent. I'm going to read it here and love to kind of get your thoughts on it. Um, you know, you kind of you wrote on there, committed to engaging the minds and hearts of people in order to strengthen leadership, culture, and uh, clarity of mission, uh, vision, and values. So how important is it, do you think, to engage the whole person when getting, trying to get the most out of the talented individuals in the company? I think sometimes we maybe we focus in on the work person, but that kind of gave me an idea about you were looking at the whole person. Maybe you could talk about that for a second. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think that that's unfortunately one of the, the negative trends still in the world is that we focus so much on just the work of a person. And yet we realize, and I talk about this in a lot of the, the speeches I give or the companies that I, that I work with, is I talk about this idea of the human element. Because what I hear most commonly in teams and organizations is that the element that's missing the most in the world today is the human element. And what they mean by that is that they're often so focused on, you know, quote unquote, getting things done, you know, their taskmasters, driving results, all those, you know, things work related. But yet what gets missed along the way is our focus and our appreciation and our valuing and developing of the human element. And so, you know, what is an organization? An organization is just a collection of human beings. You know, no matter what your business is or what organization you have, it's a collection of human beings. And so, you know, the work that I'm trying to do is, is, is I'm not just trying to get you to be better at your business, although that is going to be an outcome of it, that I, I'm helping you step back. And, and I believe the best work that we're doing in the world right now in terms of developing people, or a culture or that clarity of mission, vision, values, is when we are engaging their mind, giving them, you know, helping them think differently about things they already do, and then engaging their mind and their heart. So that whole person that comes uh, to life. And so the best organizations, in my opinion, are the ones that are acknowledging human beings, that they're honoring their individuality, they're developing them as a whole person, and in that effort of developing them and, and honoring them as a person, they actually become better at what they do. It's the ones that focus only on the business and, and are, are uh, that that is the only thing that gets their attention, the ones that somewhere along the line that, that doesn't work and it doesn't add up. So do, do you find that companies um, struggle with this? equitably across, you know, different uh, markets and, and sizes or, you know, are big companies more susceptible to this than small companies? I mean, is there certain areas where people might be more concerned that they're not, you know, really able to, to engage at that human level like you're talking about? I think, it, unfortunately, it spans all markets, you know, and all sizes. And, and yet I think a lot of it has to do with what is the reference point, you know, and it is – is uh, do you, from the beginning, either you believe it in one way or not, you either believe that developing your people and helping them as individuals grow and develop and become better at what they do and their understanding collectively of how they fit in and how they become the best ambassador and leader for your culture and your environment, either you believe that that, in the end, increases your performance and impacts the, the results, or you don't. And you believe that, that, that you just get people, everybody get in line, everybody do your job, everybody scatter and go do your job, and that that's the way that we're going to be most effective. And so what I find, no matter what the size, no matter what the market, the different organizations, the ones that buy into and understand that developing and honoring and uh, attracting and then, uh, you know, honoring that whole person are the ones that end up being the most effective in the long run. Some of those those companies we're talking about, you know, they're choosing not to really focus on that. And so they're sort of in this dying or stagnant situation or culture um, and yeah. aren't really doing anything to change it. They're not trying to inspire their employees or not uh, engaging with them how to make it better. Have you found, I mean, is there is there a reason why companies tend to kind of, you know, kind of find themselves in that situation and get stuck? You know, is it is it bad leadership? Is it is it a crappy product? Is it, 
you know, just poor hiring. Uh, you, you know, have you kind of found some some similarities in there that you know companies might be able to go back at and, and look in the mirror to see uh, are, are we one of these companies? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's probably. Uh, I, I don't think there's one silver bullet answer to that or silver bullet solution to that. But it's probably it's a combination of all those things that you name. Uh, you know, again, back to what it is they even believe their mission to be. That if their vantage point is that they see their business or their existence as purely transactional, of of that it's only about a, a little transaction that takes place, then then usually that leads down a one particular path. But if from the very beginning the mission and the mindset and the, and the belief is that it's not about a transaction, it's about a transformation, that even if you are selling little widgets somewhere, that, that your mindset and your mission from the very beginning and with the people that you bring on to be a part of that, you, you actually see it as that we together are trying to transform people's experience, that we want to, uh, you know, be a part of a solution, that we want to create an environment that honors people and helps them grow and develop. And so I think it's all of those things that you just named, but it does, in my opinion, uh, begin with that mindset of what is the purpose, what is the mission? Are we transactionally focused or do we have a transformational kind of mindset? And then that leads us into the way that we hire people, to the way that we onboard people, to the way that we develop people, to the way that we evaluate people, to the way that we uh, grow and, 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 ex- and creatively uh, develop our, our products and our services. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I was just thinking, I wonder, there could be someone listening today or another day in the future to the podcast, um, and, and, and maybe they're thinking, geez, you know, my organization is stuck or I, I do need to, to do something about this. So do you have any ideas on you know, how a company should at least start those initial kind of thoughts or or movements to try to affect some sort of change in the organization. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Clearly, yeah. clearly they might want to call you for some help, but aside from that, what are some of the other things they might want to do? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Chris. The, the, I, I love this quote. I love this quote. It, it, um, you know, conversation is the currency for change. Conversation is the currency for change. And so no matter where you are in your team and organization, I believe that the way that you begin leading change, and, I, you know, I talk about the 6A model for leading change, and I have with teams and organizations I work with, we, we look at what is that process that we individually, but then also we collectively go through in order to lead change, to go from wherever we are to wherever we want to be. What is that process that we go through? But all of it begins with what is that conversation? Because conversation is the currency for change. And so, uh, you know, whether it's leadership development, whether it's uh, being more intentional about the culture that we're trying to create, or that clarity around mission, vision, values, I believe it all begins with a conversation. And so, a lot of it, the, the the companies that that engage with me, you know, I start by seeking to understand. Well, what is the type of leader? that they are trying to create. When, you know, this term leadership we throw around so loosely in today's world, you know, we need you to be a better leader. Hey, we just, we just need you to lead. But yet we don't step back to often define, well, what is it that we mean when we say leadership? Or this term culture, what is the type of culture that we want? And so every single, whether it's leadership development, whether it's culture, whether it's clarity around mission, vision, and values, I begin with seeking to understand and, and beginning that conversation, which is what is it that we desire to be? And then let's begin to get really strategic and intentional about throughout our organization, who are the, the leaders, who are the teams, who are the levels throughout our company that need to be a part of this conversation so that the, the change can begin to happen. Yeah, uh, it's, it's an important thing. and. If you can have those conversations, I, you know, one of the things you're going to have to do as well, even be, maybe before you even start those conversations, is make sure that your staff feels safe enough to, to answer them, that you've created a whatever forum or, or medium that you need to to make sure that they're going to be open and honest. Um, uh, because if you're not doing a particularly good job right now, they're, they're going to be pretty worried about being open and honest with you. 
you know, that's a, it's, it's a big challenge for a lot of companies to get people to actually tell them what they really think. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. And I, I think that's actually one of the, the misses along the way is that, you know, the, anytime we do a training of any kind, you know, and it can be really technical training or it falls into the line of, of leadership training or any kind of conversations like we're talking about around culture, sometimes, uh, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, the the kind of training we started doing was I, some companies do this where they it's, they get everybody into a room and it's boring and it's get everybody sitting in a row and it's basically training just means shooting them in the face with a fire hose of information about a certain subject. So I want you to learn this particular skill, and so I'm going to just shoot you in the face with all this information about it. Or we think that somehow that that's what training is in learning how to, to lead is is that shooting them in the face when the reality is is how, how does that conversation, which is the currency for change, what is the environment that you even need to have that? And, and what you were describing is, so rather than doing the fire hose kind of training, is we need to get better about creating environments and meeting settings and retreats and places where we are able to facilitate conversations that truly lead to change. And so leadership training doesn't become just this shooting you in the face with a fire hose of information about leadership, but it's about discussing what does compelling and authentic leadership really look like and feel like, and then beginning to live into that of through intentional identifying of things and begin to then learn about these characteristics and attributes that are, uh, you know, compelling forms of leadership. But that's a whole different environment than that old kind of model of training. Yeah, absolutely. And you, know, you kind of brought up your, uh, that kind of training and developing your leaders. So what are some of the ways that companies can, can do this effectively to really ensure that they are, are helping their leaders become better leaders uh, and, and to kind of continue that stickiness to really push out throughout the organization the right things to their people? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of places fall into the trap of they have the like once a once a year training, you know, and and in and in a lot of places it's, you know, somebody may go to it every only every couple of years and they think, no, we've got this great training program, but yet the reality is the places that are doing it the best and are and are you know developing their people are the ones that understand that it's a continuous process that that development never stops and so. To begin, they have clarity around, well, what is the type of leadership and type of leader that we're trying to create? Again, not this just ambiguous term that we throw around and then let's pull some program off of a shelf, you know, and, and plug it in and say, okay, now you're going to become a leader. That I believe it, it's more, it needs to be more engaging than that, than that. It's engaging their minds and their hearts around what does compelling look like, leadership look like here as a part of this company. This is how we define it. Language helps drive behavior, and so what are the words and the language that we put behind that that describes not just what we do, but how we show up to do our work and to do whatever is you know, put in front of us? And then in that process, it's a, a continuous process. And so there are teams and organizations that, that, that I've helped to design and implement and then lead these kind of things for, and it's not a one-time thing. It's a, hey, let's look at this as a longer-term commitment and series, and let's make sure that we're diving into these characteristics and these attributes that are going to be, that are all centered in the kind of leader that you're trying to become. Right, absolutely. Well, I know one of the things that we love asking our guests, uh, we got a, a great answer from our first guest today. Hopefully you're going to Give us a great one as well, and that is, uh, is, there a, is there a book that you're reading right now you might tell us about? Yeah, actually, uh, I've, always got, I've always got a couple of different ones that I'm, I'm going at, at any one time, but I'll, I'll say the one that is in my travel bag right now is uh, called The Checklist Manifesto. That's uh, Atul Gawande's book. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh, uh, a physician that uh, is a really fascinating book, but 
And it, it fits in with a lot of the stuff that I'm doing. Uh, you know, when I talk about leadership development and culture and that clarity of mission, vision, values stuff, a lot of ways uh, that, uh, that I'm recognizing what's happening in the world right now is that we've never lived in a more busy, cluttered, or distracted time in the history of the world. And, and really, this Checklist Manifesto book is, is really confirming that, that when left to our own memory on a day-to-day basis, uh, flaws are rampant, you know, and, and it even t- cites these, you know, experts in their field that even the most basic things get lost on a day-to-day basis when, because we're so distracted. And so really the premise of the book is talking about what are those the, the check returning to that checklist idea of what are those foundational elements that can't be missed each day? What are those highest priorities? What are those things within our own work and in our own, uh, you know, teams and organizations that we can't forget the non-negotiables of the way that we move throughout the world? And so it's a, it's a really interesting and really affirming kind of book. Well, it sounds like a fantastic book that, uh, I'm sure our listeners would uh, love to check out. And don't forget, we will also do a blog recap of this uh, entire episode, and we'll list that uh, as a link um, on the website. You can go to peopleg2.com, go to the blog section, and look up Talent Talk and, and find that. Uh, of course, if you're listening live, you'll have to give us a few weeks to get caught up. But uh, if you're listening afterwards, it should be posted there, and you can find it uh, at any time under Jason's name. So. Jason, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, final uh, and an important question is: Is how can people find out more about you? What's the best way for them to reach out, or what website? You know, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, no, Chris, it's been fun to, to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, JasonVBarger.com. JasonVBarger.com is where you can learn more about uh, me and, and the work I'm doing, and follow blogs and all that kind of stuff. Also, uh, obviously, LinkedIn is another great. Uh, you obviously you were on the profile and checking it out. So uh, if, if you're out there and you you want to jump on LinkedIn and reference this show, I'd love to connect with you that way. And uh, Chris, keep up all the great stuff you're doing, and I, I love uh, the way that you're trying to keep the human element in in, in HR and in bringing people, engaging people's minds and hearts too. So thanks for the work that you're doing. Well, I appreciate it, Jason, and uh, we'll. Love to have you come back on the show and give us an update on what you're doing, and we'll get to all the other stuff that we didn't have time to talk about today. Yeah, no problem. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. All right, thank you again to my uh, to my special guest today. Hopefully, uh, all your listeners gained uh, something you could take back to your companies. Uh, next week, uh, live on the show, we will have uh, Kelly uh, Basoko, director of HR for Parco Inc., and Amy Morin, author of Thirteen Things Mentally Strong People Do. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2. 